Welcome to the 13th episode of June 2020 of the Magical Elections podcast about astrology and magic. My name is Nina Griffin, and I'm a traditional astrologer and magician. This podcast is where I discuss astrological magic, favorable magical elections, and host an informal exploration of the traditional magical arts with other magicians as well as those who are magic adjacent. You can find previous episodes on your favorite podcasting platform, such as the Apple Podcasting app. You can also visit my website, ninagriffin.com, to find previous episodes. You can also find articles there about astrology and magic. The video version of this podcast will be available at youtube.com slash ninagriffin, where you can subscribe to get notified of future episodes, so you have your choice of an audio or video version. What are magical elections? Many historic magical texts suggest that magical results are enhanced by astrologically electing the moment when the desired magical energies are at their height and performing the magical ritual at that time. In my experience, this is very much the case. However, most astrologers are not magicians, and most magicians are not astrologers. This is where I come in. Every month, I select a few auspicious dates and times and also recommend traditional materials for you to use for maximum magical potency. It also includes the names of angels and spirits that should be invoked and the magical images associated with each talisman. Since earlier this year, magical elections have included talismanic images created by Minkyu Lee, a professional animator, filmmaker, and artist. I also include suggestions for further reading and learning and a magical lesson on a different topic each month. This is all included in the monthly Magical Elections PDF, which you can buy at ninagriffin.com for 15 US dollars. Today, we will discuss the contents of the June issue of Magical Elections, and I'll tell you about a sample free magical election that you can use that will be in June. This month, I interviewed Minkyu Lee, who is the Oscar nominated animator that's been illustrating magical elections. In this interview, Minkyu and I talk about art, astrology, and magic, and the way that they intersect. The June issue of the Magical Elections PDF is now available at ninagriffin.com, and I identified five elections for June. The first is the second decan of Pisces, which is for safe travel, success away from home, and success in spiritual pursuits. The first decan of Cancer is used for enchantment, attraction, and verbal artistry. The 12th lunar mansion is for increasing a harvest, especially good for those of us who have gardens, and the prospering of plants, as well as strengthening the loyalty of our allies and supporters. There is also a wonderful fixed star talisman for the royal fixed star Regulus, the heart of the lion. And this one is used for alleviating the melancholic humor, for receiving favor and honors, strengthening one's health and vitality, and also lessening anger, our own as well as that of others. Finally, there is the 10th Lunar Mansion Talisman, which is particularly good this month for lessening anxiety and fear. As in every issue, you can read about the Astrological Wall of Shame, which includes upcoming elections that may look good, but don't quite make the grade. This is helpful if you do your own electing and want to check your work, but also if you've ever purchased pre-made talismans and are concerned those elections are not optimal. It's a good educational tool because it shows you the kinds of things that can damage otherwise favorable electional charts. 
Before we get to the interview, uh, MinQ created two images that are included in this month's magical elections. One is for the 12th lunar mansion, while the other is for the second decan of Pisces. These are black and white talismanic images for you to print out and use in your magical works, whether you trace the image during your ritual or you want to color it in. If you ever want to use an image for a future election that's from a previous issue, let me know and I can sell you the back issue. Just contact me at nina at ninagriffin.com via email. The free election for June is the second decan of Pisces talisman, which relies on Mars transiting the second decan of Pisces. Minkyu created a truly beautiful image this month. It's, a, it's something you can use for safe travel, success far from home, and success in your spiritual pursuits. The election is set for June 3rd, 2020, 6.55 to 7.24 a.m. in Los Angeles, California. So you'll want to start your ritual during this window. You will want to start out with zero cancer on the ascendant in your location for the beginning of this election, but be sure to keep an eye on the moon and ensure that her next applying aspect is a trine to Mars. The incense to use in your ritual according to the traditional sources will be related to Mars. So you'll want spicy substances like garlic or pepper, uh, though make sure you don't get too close to those fumes and have good ventilation because they can be very powerful. The name of the spirit of the Deccan does not appear in our surviving ancient Egyptian texts, but we can invoke the angels and spirits of Mars. So, and these are Zamael, Graphiel, and Bartabel. The image for this talisman, which Minkyu made so beautifully, it represents a woman with color more beautiful than the Champaka. The Champaka is a magnolia tree with white or golden blossoms. So it's referring to the color of the blossoms. She is surrounded by her attendants and sailing in a boat decked with long flags in search of the coast of the ocean. My recommendation for this talisman is that you can do a stone or metal talisman, and you could do iron or steel since those are metals of Mars, um, or you could do a verbal petition or a paper talisman as well. As I always emphasize, the talismanic image is extremely important because images act directly on the soul without the intermediation of words. You would also want to write or engrave the goal that you want on your talisman as well as your name. Now let's turn to the interview with Minkyu. We did an audio interview, so I will put up a video card during this portion of the podcast. Welcome everyone. This is Nina Griffin, and today I have the great pleasure and honor of hosting Minkyu Lee, who is an Oscar-nominated animator and artist uh, Minkyu has worked on such projects as Frozen and Moana, and he's just a wonderful, wonderful artist. I encourage you to visit him on Instagram, uh, where he has many examples of his wonderful art. So Minkyu, the way that I have uh, sort of connected with him is that Minkyu uh, very kindly has offered to uh, draw talismanic images for my monthly magical elections issue. And if you would like to see some of the wonderful images he came up with, you can look at issues starting with March 2020. And so in every issue, there are two or three images that Minkyu has created. Welcome, Minkyu. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Hello, Nina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. All right. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I think you're a really interesting person in the sense of 
you are both a professional and extremely highly rated artist, but also you are a fan and practitioner of astrology and perhaps more recently astrological magic. So I'd be very interested. Maybe let's start at the beginning. And okay. maybe if you can tell me a little bit about your journey to astrology, because as I understand it, you got into it as an adult. So it, you know, it's not something that's been with you forever and ever. Yeah, not really. Um, I think I've always had like a peripheral interest in astrology and was curious about like the mechanism of it, um, but never really got into it until I, I think it's like several years ago. I, I was going through, um, interestingly enough, an artistically kind of challenging time internally. And, you know, I was just kind of trying these different workshops. Um, and uh, Chani Nicholas's actually workshop um, kind of came into my vision and I uh, started, you know, trying it out. And the first one that I did, I, I remember just being really astonished by the accuracy. I mean, I think Chani is just such a, she's such a uh, good astrologer. She's, she's so knowledgeable and she has a way of distilling the information that is really easy to understand. And, and I was really, and it really helped me a lot. It kind of, you know, framed what was going in my life in a way that was not only accurate, but very like, it kind of made the suffering kind of all okay in an odd sense. But, you know, I, I have a Virgo moon. And so for me, like, I don't easily just accept it. I have to kind of like pick it apart a little bit and like, you know, really try to lift the curtain and be like, okay, how does this really work though? And does this really work? And is this just me, you know, um, making the connections in my head? And so I started doing those workshops one after another, and not only for me, but I started, you know, to collect my friends' charts and without telling them kind of this is a very <laughs> type thing, but just kind of like seeing, you know, if, for example, if I have cancer rising friends, like, okay, what's happening in the cancer rising world and, and uh, you know, just kind of seeing if that's also happening to my friends. And it definitely, I think, you know, after like a year of that kind of experiment, I think that really helped me erase a lot of my doubts in my mind where I was like, okay, this, this feels pretty unmistakable and undeniable because what's going on in their life is definitely not happening to me. So it's not like you can just apply some, you know, because I think skeptics of astrology sometimes can tend to say that, like it's just you're making your own connections. So that kind of uh, led me into wanting to, you know, discover what astrology is. And on the way, I think I just discovered what the beauty of astrology is, you know, with the symbolism. And, you know, it is a, in some ways, a very poetic, you know, creative art form. And, and I think that speaks to kind of my artist soul and, and uh, yeah, I think, I think that was the start of it. And then I um, started really getting into it and I started taking classes under Achuta Bhava and, you know, I met you and uh, uh, yeah. So the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So it sounds like you kind of came to it from a um, perspective of wanting more self-understanding, right? Like, you wanted to understand whether what was happening to you, like what did it mean? Yeah. Was there maybe some other way to look at this this probably difficult period in your life? Totally, yeah. It was just a way of 
I didn't expect that it would be this way, but in the end, it became this way of like framing what was going on in my life in a much larger perspective and even potentially talking about the purpose of what's going on in my life, you know? And that's right. uh, Yeah. And so it was really, really helpful in that way. Yeah. I mean, that really reminds me of a lot of uh, writings that you see even outside the astrological world where if you're going through a difficult period in your life, as long as you can give it some meaning and as you just said, some purpose, it can completely change that narrative about what's happening and can give you a lot of courage and strength and, um, you know, just again, a more positive view on what's happening. It sounds like Mm -hmm. that's what happened for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was like the first hook of it, you know, and then I think what's also really seductive about astrology too, is that, you know, it is a hermetic art form. So that, you know, Hermes being Mercury, like, it is a very slippery art form. (laughs) It's like the more you think you get it, the more it like slips away. And it's like, ah, 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 no, there's there's (laughs) so much more. So I I think what's so perfect is like, I think, you know, Demetra George's book, she opens with that, you know, that is Fallon's passage about like how astrology is like, learning astrology is like, you're climbing this really tall mountain and you climb and climb and climb and it just is just mountain. And then you get to the top and there's this like, gorgeous temple there and and it's like i finally arrived at this place and now i understand and uh you know i think that that just perfectly like encapsulates it you know um yes the sense of recognition perhaps yeah 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 and and that it's it's not this like kind of frivolous art form that you just kind of like dip your toes in and think you completely understand that's Um, right it is this thing that really takes time and experience and growth and maturity and, you know, the wisdom that you gain through all of that. That's right. It is kind of a divine gift. So just like in the analogy that you, that you described, right, it's a temple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thinking back to that period that you were going through, you know, back when you went to Chani Nicholas's workshop, what did you feel was kind of your, the switch in your thinking, if, if you can describe that? Like, it sounds like maybe beforehand you were kind of thinking, well, you know, this is just kind of suffering. Will this go on forever? Like what was, if you can talk about that specifically, what was the realization for you or what do you feel astrology kind of helped you see differently? That's a really, really great question. Um, you know, what's really interesting for me, oddly, was that, you know, I, I used to teach art um, at CalArts. I taught animation and you know, once you go through that kind of experience, it is very challenging to try to teach art because every artist is unique and individual and they Mm -hmm. don't all need the same lesson. And, you know, you might teach a class, but if there are like 40 students in that class, it's going to be understood in 40 different ways. You know, it's it's not the same for everyone. But at the same time, you want some kind of uniform truths or wisdom that you present to the students. But understanding astrology and especially the aspect about like, you know, no two charts are the same unless they're born, obviously, in this exact same moment in that exact same time. Um, I think that really reframed my mind into really recognizing the autonomy of every human being and kind of helped me, I don't know, let go of this idea even more so that everyone kind of has to be the same. And 
like there needs to be this uniformity that's applied to every person and especially every artist. And I think that was really liberating. It, it also, I think, helped me kind of embrace my own unique challenges as my my own thing that nobody else is experiencing. And I think mm-hmm. there's something freeing about that um, and empowering in an odd way. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but... No, you really are. You really are. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, I, I think a lot of what, what goes on too is that, you know, as you just said, you know, all artists have their own process, right? And so mm-hmm. I can imagine that being a professional artist like yourself it's probably very difficult not to compare your own career trajectory with that of other people or your creative output volume with that of other people. And so Mm -hmm. I can imagine that maybe, as you said, every chart is different and every person is different. It's maybe eye-opening to see that, you know, you can really go about things your own way and you can kind of develop at your own pace. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's, that's really cool. So I guess this sort of leads into my next question, which was, you know, how has astrology been helpful to you in your field of work as a creative artist? So, all right. So you went to the workshop, you're starting, you know, maybe it's been a year or so. Has it, you know, informed kind of your process or even the content of your work? Like, do you feel like something has changed in terms of your actual output or, or the way that you go about creating art? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think definitely working with creatives or artists through astrology is kind of what I aspire to be in terms of the astrological field. Like I do want to be an astrologer that works with creatives and artists to help realize their voice and, you know, express their artwork. And because, you know, creating art is a process, it takes time, anything that is procedural you know, has direct connections to, you know, astrology and time and seasons. I mean, even like the most basic example being, for example, like, let's say, like Saturn is going through the midheaven or the third house or like the fifth house of an artist, you know, that's most likely not going to be a time when that artist has like massive output of work, you know? Yes. Um, it's not going to be, it's, it's going to be more like a wintry hibernation where it's more about really sorting out internally, like, what do I want to say and really figuring out, and it might be hard, you know, and hard to, it might be a time where you rethink how you express yourself, but as artists, it's really challenging for us not to compare ourselves with other artists. And when you see perhaps, let's say someone else is going through like a Jupiter transit, um, through one of those like significators, um, they're probably going to be putting out a lot of work and you might compare yourself and being like, what's wrong with me? What am I not doing correctly? And even, you know, negate your own artistic voice in that process. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you see the transits that you're going through, because it contextualizes everything, it almost kind of gives you the permission to be like, oh, no, no, this is not a time necessarily when you're supposed to just be like having a party with your art. It's really a time <laughs> you are supposed to be more introspective and sort through your priorities. And even just something as simple as that, I think when people hear that and there is a recognition of, you know, their quote unquote, like artistic suffering, I think that's hugely liberating too. 
but also, you know, a person's chart, I think, you know, we've heard this a lot, but like a person's chart is so directly tied in, in so many ways to the art that they create, you know? So even for people who might feel like they've, they don't know what they want to create or they don't have a direction or they don't have a style or they don't have a vision, you know, sometimes a lot of those answers on why they might feel that way, but also what those solutions might be also might be in like the natal chart. And uh, yeah, I just think that's a really fascinating venue to explore. There's so much there, Minkyu, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, I think we talked about this earlier in one of our conversations, but like, remember when, like right after I watched Midsummer, and I asked you like, is watching horror movies remediation? (laughs) (laughs) I remember that very well. Yes. In a weird way, like, I think there's a part of me that, like, wonders, you know, for example, you know, I'm just, like, collecting a lot of, like, artist charts that I really look up to, and I notice, you know, if we, let's say, you know, broadly, because, you know, Venus rules the arts, like, Venus as a significator of the arts, you would think, like, oh, Venus really well-placed, but, um, you know, I was noticing that a lot of my favorite artists have Venus and Aries, which technically is her detriment. But, you know, for example, like Sofia Coppola, Michelle Gondry, Wes Anderson, um, all these directors that I love have Venus and Aries. And, and uh, it's, it was really interesting seeing, so, so something like that in a natal chart, you, you might be able to help that artist, like point out like, what is the expression of this Venus that might be more compatible to your voice, you know, which yes. in, in that case, I can definitely see like a common thread of how Venus expresses herself in those artists. You know, you see that kind of very um, beauty first, like that very like um, self inserting kind of sense of beauty where it's like beauty to the forefront, you know, yes. like, it's, it's this very unapologetic vision of beauty. Like I especially think of Wes Anderson. It's like beauty for beauty's sake. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say he's, I could totally see that Venus in Aries, right? Because he has a certain style. And as you said, it's completely unapologetic and it's like, nope, here's a Wes Anderson movie and a Wes Anderson visual. Exactly. And it's yeah. same with the couple too. And, and yes, you know, one of the best artists of history, you know, Michelangelo had Venus mm-hmm. in Aries. So right. when you see his work, it's just this, proud very like i am here and i am beautiful type thing <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you know and what's so interesting too like i think you know someone like george miller who directed um mad max and mm-hmm. most recently the mad max fury road i think that's another you know astonishing very literal example of you know something like venus and aries where it's this vision of like war you know fury road but yes. when you watch the movie, it's just, again, this completely unapologetic vision of, like, all-out beauty, you know? Mm-hmm. Even when you have these, like, post-apocalyptic tribes that are self-mutilating and trying to destroy each other, I mean, you just cannot take your eyes off of it because it's so beautiful. And so yes. I think discovering those things and maybe even helping other artists who, you know, obviously these artists that we mentioned have such a prominent voice again maybe probably that's the venus and aries but you know they, they just mm-hmm. are so sure of their identity but there might be some other artists who are not or who are in that season of trying to find themselves and it just seems like you know astrology can be in that way such a such a helpful tool yes 
No, that's yeah. a great point. And wow, you covered a lot of ground, but so I made some notes. So hopefully we'll, we can, uh, uh, I wanted to reference a few things. Yes, absolutely. Though. Yeah. yeah. So in my uh, last month in my Patreon Q&A, one of the things our group ended up talking about was what kind of art do you enjoy or make depending on the sign that your Venus is in? Oh, and one of the, yes. and yeah, I wish you had been there. That would have been really um, <laughs> interesting to hear it from your perspective, since obviously mm-hmm. you have made a study of this. And uh, one of the things that we uh, concluded is that Venus in fire signs tends to be extremely, extremely visual more than anything. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Because fire, of course, represents light and, you know, that the sun mm-hmm. and even to a lesser degree, you know, the moon, of course, is the reflected uh, light. So, yeah, so it wow. makes sense to me that film directors in particular, and I suppose perhaps photographers as well, and so mm-hmm. on, uh, would have Venus in a fire sign. Um, it just, yeah. you know, the motion, the light, a lot of it just makes sense to me. Yeah, totally. You, you know, and it's such a kind of like cathartic, empowering version of like Venus in her detriment. Exactly. I, I just love those things. And, you know, even exactly. as something as, again, like this is another example of maybe something that one might look at in an astrological chart and not think of as like a great significator or or possibly even like a negative aspect. But I've also noticed, you know, a lot of my favorite artists have um, their moon very tightly conjunct their Saturn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking of like Donald Judd, Agnes Martin, James Terrell, these really, these artists who are amazing at like minimalism just like really trimming everything down into like the essence of something, yes. you know, because I, I do think the moon is also kind of a significator of art because, you know, obviously the moon connects to the material and the material body. And it's, it's that kind of like process of like putting into form, you know, something that's more yes. real and, and uh, yeah. So again, another example of something that might be, like maybe in a natal chart, someone might be like, hmm. But as an artist, it's like, what a beautiful expression. Right, right. And maybe the lesson there is that regardless of what's in your natal chart, if you can turn that into an artistic expression, no part of the chart is off limits or unhelpful. Right? Exactly. Like everything cool. can be utilized. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's the other thing that I'm kind of like discovering my studies too is like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, Venus is the ruler of the arts, but it really takes all the planets to create an artist. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just Venus. It's, no, no. She's yeah. perhaps the most visible, right? But as, yes. just as you say. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, for Mars, for the courage that it takes to be an artist, you know, Uranus for the innovation and the ingenuity, you know, and originality and stuff like that. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Really, really cool seeing that in artist charts. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, I just wanted to kind of jump back to something you had initially said. And I think you had said this to me, maybe the first time we met, something like that, like pretty early on. (laughs) You told me that um, one of the things that you found really helpful as an artist and, you know, kind of just getting into astrology is recognizing the concept of seasons in the sense of the seasons of the life, right? Just as you were saying earlier that there, you know, it can't be summer and spring forever, right? But you have to go through a period of sort of mental or creative composting and perhaps a mental and creative hibernation. And that's not only okay, it's desirable and it's natural. 
yeah, you can actually make the most out of a challenging situation if you can contextualize it in that journey, in that longer story of like, oh, this is why this is needed. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make sure I, I said that because I thought you had said that so wonderfully. And it's, you know, on the one hand, it's very simple, but it's also a very profound truth about astrology and the cyclicality of it. And and I think, you know, it, it's an element of astrology that helps people cope with difficult periods because you realize nothing lasts forever, not the good, not the bad. And it's yeah, just all part of a, a larger cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is a season. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, precisely. Um, well, that's great. So let's jump forward a little bit. And okay. I'd be interested to know about kind of what sparked your interest in astrological magic, you know, how you made that leap from astrology into magic, which is the point um, at which you and I met. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for me, you know, I think a really big part of always trying to understand astrology is like trying to understand, you know, how it works too, which of course is a futile attempt, you know, <laughs> no one knows how it works. But right. at the same time, I, and not that I'm ever going to find out how it works, obviously not. But, you know, I think the pondering of like, how does this work is oddly enriching, I think, towards mm-hmm. like students who study astrology, even though it's futile, it's like the pondering makes it more beautiful and it adds like enrichment yes. to your understanding. And so I've just been really fascinated by the different kind of philosophical perspectives on that um, exact topic. And, you know, yeah, you probably know like the better terms for all these different, you know, branches of thought, but, you know, there are astrologers who just think that, you know, the planets are, you know, they don't have their own will. They're just like, you know, a spoke on a clock. They, they right, just like show a materialistic up. sort of philosophy, maybe. Yeah, they, they don't dictate anything. They don't cause anything. And then, you know, obviously there's, and I'm sure like even in terms of the magical perspective of astrology, there's like different shades of nuance and spectrums of that too. But, you know, on the flip side, there's like the concept of the planetary rays that you, you know, introduced me to and um, which is kind of like a slightly different perspective on that and, and which makes it so more so that you can create these magical talents or be more active in, you know, astrology. And so I think it was really a way because I just wanted to experience it all, like the whole spectrum to really shape my understanding of astrology even better in that way. Like, okay, I, I know what this other perspective is and I understand it. Like, what is this other perspective that I just want to investigate? And that kind of led me in there, which I think that's on one hand, but you know, also on the other hand, I have uh, Neptune very tightly conjoined by my midheaven. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think that that is a very like wizardy aspect in my opinion. <laughs> yes. Um, whenever I think of that, I think of, you know, um, Walt Disney has that aspect too. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of like the most iconic Mickey, it's the Sorcerer's Apprentice Mickey, in my opinion. This is like, true. I, yeah. That's the thing that you see the most. And what's really interesting, obviously, you know, Neptune, the Midheaven animation, that makes sense, right? It's the mm-hmm. illusion, the fantasy and, and putting that up. But, you know, the Walt Disney Animation Studios in Burbank, when you go to that building, uh, the 
the front of the building has a sorcerer hat on it, you know? And, and so <laughs> I just look at that symbolism and I'm like, that's, to me, that speaks of Neptune on the Midheaven as well. And so I think part of it is just my, you know, Neptune and Midheaven. Yes, yes. Of like, okay, what is magic? And, mm-hmm. you know, is it something that I should investigate and try to understand? And I think, so there's just this like natural pull, I think. Yes, yes. You know, I I just recently uh, watched an interview that um, Chris Brennan did with Robert Zoller, who died just a few months ago. And Robert Zoller was a traditional astrologer who did a huge amount of work in bringing a lot of these traditional texts uh, to modern readers by translating them. And the thing about Robert Zoller was that in addition to being an astrologer, he had very clearly an interest and practice of magic. And, Mm. you know, I don't think he was super forward about it, but I think he discussed it like in his course and, you know, he certainly wasn't hiding it. But Mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing that he had said that really stuck with me was that to him, astrology and magic were along the same continuum. And yes, so he, he said, okay, well, astrology is sort of the analytical, you know, left brain kind of, kind of part of the science. But then he said, there has to be a counterpart as well on the right brain. And he said, you know, I think magic is that counterpart. He said, really? Yeah, it's, it's really profound. I recommend listening to the interview. It's quite excellent. Oh, now Um, I will. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's, for him, it's just this, like, almost a little aside, but it is quite profound. And you do realize that astrology and magic are sister arts or sciences. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that if you get into one that the other perhaps might start to call you as well. Oh, yeah. I, I can totally see that. That was definitely the case for me. So, wow, mm-hmm. that's incredible. What a beautiful way to express that. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. So, one of the things too, I think with, with astrological magic is that, you know, I don't know that you necessarily knew this when you started exploring it, but I imagine this probably interested you is that astrological magic relies very heavily on images mm-hmm. and talismanic images. And so one of the things that of course, as an artist is a tremendous advantage is that you can create an aesthetically appealing version of a magical image. So for example, you know, as you well know, the, the Venus image is a picture of a woman holding an apple in one hand and either a comb with some symbols or, or, an, or a mirror, you know, depending on the source. And mm-hmm. one of those things, again, you know, we have historic talismans and usually they're not that aesthetically attractive because, you know, most people who wrote these kinds of manuscripts who are not professional artists <laughs> by a long shot. <laughs> right. So but luckily the talismans, what's that? I was going to say, but even that kind of is charming, you know, in it its is, own way. It is. Oh, it is. I mean, it's cute. Lines. It yeah. is cute. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they all have like their little, you know, and, yeah. you know, and then in some cases we have seen talismans that are, you know, pretty old. Uh, for example, ones that um, are related to the Greek magical papyri, which are, of course, um, from about 2000 years ago. And then you see those drawings and it's kind of like a three-year-old was just handing a crayon, you know? So, and I don't know if those talismans worked because we, you know, we, we don't mm-hmm. know how, what the result was, but at the same time, like it doesn't have to be beautiful, but on the other hand, it certainly helps, right? If it's aesthetic, there is this concept in astrological magic that 
the rays from the object hit the eye and from there mm-hmm. enter the soul. And so the mm-hmm. more attractive the object, the more you will want to gaze at it and therefore commune with its energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if you ask me, it's much better to have anything more beautiful. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Especially if yeah. you'll have it in front of you all the time. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So that leads me to my next question then. Um, so obviously you've been making talismanic images for magic collections for a few months now. And so I'd be interested to know what kind of process has it been, you know, kind of how do you sort of approach the image? Usually what I do is, you know, I'll send you like a very short description of the magical image, but mm-hmm. um, not much more than that, because I kind of don't want to influence you or, or push you in a particular direction. Um, what's that like for you? If you can describe how you go about it. I mean, that's certainly so wonderful. You know, I think that's what I'm learning from you is that, you know, it can really be anything. You know, there aren't like these really, really stringent rules upon what it needs to be as long as pictorially it equates to what the description is. And, yes, you know, it's been a really invigorating learning process for sure. You know, I think in the beginning I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but of course the more you do it and the more discoveries you make, you know, the vision changes and, and, you know, the idea expands and stuff. And, but for me, you know, I, from a very micro level, part of what was really fun about it was just thinking of these planetary energies in visual material form, which is kind of an abstract concept, but, you know, they do manifest in material form, you know, all of the planet's energies. And sometimes one of the ways that I found is, kind of an interesting perspective into that is like basically you know what does venus look like well what does someone with venus on their ascendant look like you know because it's going to show in their body um what that planetary energy is same with mercury you know same with mars you know all the planets and and so i remember one of the first elections that we created was the venus and taurus talisman and yep you know, for me, so, so like my task was kind of like really looking into what is the material shape of Venus? What what are the forms? What What is the composition? And obviously, you know, Venus on the Ascendant, you know, the common idea, the basic idea is that they're going, they're going to be beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's a certain kind of beauty, you know, because beauty is not completely universal. It, it, there is a subjective angle to beauty and you know venus does have although she rules all of beauty her in her purest form is a certain type of beauty and i think it was vedius valens who said that you know people who have venus rising have like an exceptionally calm demeanor too Mm -hmm. and so when you see like for example beyonce or angelina jolie or rihanna you know the top three people mentioned whenever we talk about venus rising yes Yes, they are very beautiful, but at the same time, it is a certain type of beauty. And especially, you know, just taking Beyonce, for example, who has, if her chart is correct, you know, remarkably exactly conjoined with her ascendant, um, she, she has that aura of calm, even if, mm-hmm. even if her presence and her voice is, you know, that Mars in the midheaven, Sasha Fierce, you know, <laughs> queen, like, fierce and just diva like you know the ascendant shape of her is very calm and you know i think we see that 
so well illustrated with that whole like Taylor Swift, Kanye drama, you know, when Kanye called out, like it was, should have been Beyonce, single ladies that won the music, <laughs> uh, the award, you know, what did she do? She did the most like Venus and Libra thing, which was like when it was time for her acceptance speech, she, you know, invited Taylor to give her acceptance speech because in her mind that was fair, you know? Yes. And so when I did the first Venus and Talisman drawing, like I wanted to depict more of that peace and balance um, calm, harmonious aspect of Venus. And so, you know, the other thing about like Venus rising people is that they have very symmetrical faces, right? Because they mm-hmm. have, because it's balanced in the body. So they, their features are very harmonized, you know? So, um, you know, I, I leaned into that and did, I remember doing this very like symmetrical drawing of her holding like an apple and, you know, a comb and your wonderful feedback to that was like, let's really, you know, kind of lean into the specific sign that Venus is in, which was Taurus. It wasn't Libra. And, and so that I was like, Oh my God, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So right. So in the new iteration, I, you know, I put her closer to the ground and in terms of, you know, the rendering, this is a really interesting that I noticed about, you know, um, prominent Taurus placement natives to our artists is that, you know, because it is Venus in, the material realm it's venus in an earth sign they have like this exceptionally strong grasp on dimension like Mm. a lot of the best you know artists who can really think three-dimensionally not abstractly not not in terms of like you know flowing emotion but something as like a three-dimensional like they can picture something as a three-dimensional object that's I think that's, you know, honestly, Venus in any of the earth signs or any you mm-hmm. know, earth signs tend to be able to have that. But especially Taurus, I think that's, you know, one of their beautiful gifts. And so I tried to, in that talisman, I remember trying to really dimensionalize the mm. apple and the fig tree above her because, you know, that's also a Venus signification. And that's so, yeah, it's just, I think that's how I started, you know, this experiment of like, how do I really you know, pictorially describe these attributes that is of this abstract energy. And, you know, I mean, as a film director, that's also what I do. You know, when you think about what's on the screen in every scene, everything has a purpose. And everything that you place within the screen is a communication method. You know, it's yes. a message. And and so there's definitely very, very strong links there. And in that sense, it's it's been kind of like a really fun journey. But at the same time, you know, also the more that I draw, the more that I'm also wanting to find my own artistic voice within, you know, the art form of talisman creating, if that makes sense. It so makes I think total that, sense. Yeah. So I think that's one, going to be one of my biggest, I don't want to say challenges because it, it's, a, it's a lot more fun, but, you know, artistic Your fun goal. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and one of the things that I really love is that we don't really have a lot of historic evidence, um, you know, for magical images done one by top artists, but also ones that are, that have a sense of individuality. You know, I think in general, when you do see magical images out there, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, people tend to take it very seriously but they don't place a lot of maybe fun or imagination into it, which I think is unfortunate because 
they just these images seem like they have so much life and potential but i think in general people tend to be so focused on oh you know will i do it wrong if i personalize it or if i you know if i kind of modify it to in, in some degree and so the result is i think often you have seen you know kind of more just a certain stiffness to it, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about your approach and your art is that because you're coming at this from, from an animator, you know, animator's perspective, you, you know, I mean, literally animation is to give something soul. It's to give something life, right? Like anima, right. the soul, right? And so that's what I really love about what you're doing is that you're giving it a lot of fun and a lot of dynamism. Um, yeah, which again no. is not something you really see in the magical image space, just really throughout its entire history. Wow, well, thank you so much. Um, very kind of you to say that. No, I, I do like going back to what you said of like how the image, you know, speaks to a person. Like in my mind, it's always better if the image speaks more viscerally, you know? Yes. And, and to some extent, you could argue that that gives the image more power. You know when mm -hmm. when it really speaks to you and you lock eyes to it and and so um, yeah I think imbuing the imitation of life or kind of what you said like the animated aspect is is a you know I think it's a important part of um, why I draw yeah yeah no and it, like I said it's uh, it's been really wonderful so I, I feel very privileged for for you know just having oh, you God, there God, to like God. bring this to life it's it's just such a wonderful um dream come true um thank yeah. you yeah you're sure. welcome <laughs> <laughs> yeah so all right so if you want like i say you don't have to answer but i was curious if now that you've been you know making images for a little bit have you noticed any impact uh personally from creating magical images and the reason i was wondering is even though you're not making the image at the talismanic moment, I can't help but wonder that, you know, drawing the magical image of Venus or, of, you know, of some other planet, um, I can't help but think that that would not inhabit your, your life or your soul in some way. Have you experienced that or perhaps not yet? You know, it's interesting because it's exactly like you said, I didn't create any of these talismans in the moment that it's intended to be created, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I do, it, you know, in the moment that I am creating them, obviously I'm thinking about the planetary energies a lot. And so, you know, it, it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, I mean, it's it's like when I look at my reality right now, it's definitely it's definitely not like the blessings aren't there. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. It's definitely not like, well, I created this Venus talisman. I created this Mercury talisman, even though they weren't timed or elected. But at the same time, it's like good things in those avenues are definitely, I feel like, happening to me. So mm -hmm. what can I say? <laughs> you yes. know, it's yes. one of those things where, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's okay to say, and, you know, please feel free to like edit it out. But we created that Venus uh, talisman together so I'm really excited to see um yes yeah, yeah. no I'm happy so. to actually talk about this because I, I I'm hoping so just for everyone um so Minkyu and I well Minkyu did the actual hard work I I just timed this and I did the did the magical ritual around it but Minkyu created um, an astrologically timed Venus and Taurus talisman um it's a beautiful image of Venus and Taurus 
And um, we, the thing we still have to do, I think when we get our um, permission to congregate again here in California, uh, Minkyu has to uh, sign each of these images. So he made a set of, I believe it's 10, I want to say. And so, and then we're, you know, we're going to place them up for sale. But of course, Minkyu is going to get a copy and Nina's going to get a copy. And, um, and so we're both very interested to see once these are kind of finalized and once we, you know, once you kind of do your own uh, personalization ritual, um, you know, kind of what the effect is going to be, especially on someone like Minkyu, who is an artist. And, um, you know, he is, he is looking for, I think, more Venusian influences in his life. Yes. Is that all, okay all to my, say that? Okay. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, I think, you know, all, all the, you know, planetary influences, I think, have a good form. And, you know, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want that? Yes, yes, exactly. So yeah. something to look forward to. Yes, absolutely. And um, more to come, yeah. right? Yes, that's, that's my hope as well. I think there are some really interesting opportunities. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it'll be quite good. Yeah. All right. So do you have any personal magic stories so far that you'd like to share or is it just too early in your magical development? Yeah, I think I do feel like the honest answer would be that it's a little early to have kind of like an amazing story just yet, but mm-hmm. you know, um, excited to find out. <laughs> exactly. Once we give you that talisman and put it on your wall, Minkyu, then then you'll have stories, okay. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you're like, Nina, why do I have this like incredibly active social life? Now I can't get any work done. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so why did I wake up with long flowing blonde hair? No, <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't remember how I got there, but I mean I like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much, Minkyu. This has been such a pleasure and I'm sure I'll have you on in a few months again when, you know, maybe we've worked on some more projects and there's more, more to tell, but oh, this is just a wonderful intro. Yeah. For, for all the listeners. So thank you oh, for the being here. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much for having me. It's always, you know, a pleasure to talk to you and learn from you. And, and so thank you. All right. Thank you, Minkyu. 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 That is it for this episode of Magical Elections. My name is Nina Griffin, and I welcome your comments and questions. You can reach me at ninagriffin.com, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and of course, Instagram. I wish you a magical June.